We're doing a new series this month um, called Step Up. Everyone has responsibilities. Uh, sometimes we just need to step up. Um, we, as, as we look through this series, I'm, I'm going to just kind of let you in on a secret a little bit from the start. This series, and today's especially, we're kind of working on not really today. I'm not really trying to get you to go out. I'm not challenging you to be anything or necessarily do anything today. Today, as we talk about this, really what I, all I'm going to try to do is get you just to ask two questions. And so we're going to speak, and I know we're starting a little bit earlier on the sermon, and so I was, as I was looking here, we were kind of looking at this, and I, I didn't know whether to give you your full money's worth a whole hour, or uh, we'll try to cut it down a little bit. Um, uh, but we're going to ask this question, and we're going to, you know, when do we step up? How do we step up? And so we're just going to go through there. And today, we're going to, over the next few weeks, I'm going to challenge you in different areas. But for today, I just want you to ask questions. It's not to get you to be feeling guilty about what you're not doing. It's just simply to get you to ask questions. Um, sometimes as we read through the Bible, and, and I want to encourage you, uh, it's a good practice if you don't regularly read through the scriptures, I encourage you to do it. It's a good practice. It's a good discipline for your life. It helps us to know what we should know. Um, but this week, as I was, it wasn't this week, but I've been looking more at it this week. But this, but just recently, as I was reading through the Bible, I've been reading through the book of Galatians. And I got through to the end of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6. And the Apostle Paul begins to talk about their responsibilities, to the Galatian churches, you have some responsibilities. And it really got me to thinking about what are our responsibilities as followers of Jesus Christ? What should we be doing? Who are we responsible for? And so today I'm going to stop and we're going to just look at this idea. Because as the Apostle Paul begins, begins to talk about responsibility, he didn't just talk it. He actually walks the walk. To help us understand, and so over the next few weeks, we're actually going to just look at Galatians chapter 6. But today, we're not going to go to Galatians chapter 6. We're just going to hit the background. As we begin to look at the Apostle Paul, we're going to look at to see where does he find or how does his responsibility actually play out in his life. And for, in order for us to begin to understand the Apostle Paul's life, we're going to kind of go back and hit a bit of this direction or Let's do a background real quickly on the Apostle Paul because this will help us to lay the foundation of where we're going to go for the next four weeks after this. The Apostle Paul was a guy who was born in what we believe was approximately 86, 4 through 6, somewhere in there. We're not exactly sure. He was born in the city of Tarsus. Now, Paul was a Jew who somehow, and we're not ever told how, but somehow he was born with a Roman citizenship. Um... What we know is either his dad had either somehow done something really great for the Roman government that they bestowed it upon him, or his dad had, maybe his dad had been in the Roman army. We, we probably don't think this was the case because we know as the apostle Paul grew up, he grew up to be a devout Jew who was actually very anti-Roman, um, all the while while still having a Roman citizenship. Now, he was born about 86, and as a young man, about 14 years of age, we know that his parents sent him down to Jerusalem to study under probably the greatest religious scholar of his time, a guy by the name of Gamelius. 
Now, Paul was a model student, so much so that as he studied, he, he took on and he absorbed everything. And at a very young age, he actually joined a sect that we call the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a religious group who kind of, in a sense, held themselves to the absolute highest standard of the law. Um, they were the guys who, in a sense, most of them were paid religious people in order to try to keep society or religion working properly. And so at a very young age, he, he studied under Gamelius. He became a Pharisee. He joined the sect of Pharisees. And then for a very young guy, he actually became a part of what we call the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a special group who kind of governed the religious and the political outcomes of its area. In fact, it's the Sanhedrin who kind of condemned Jesus to death. Now, they didn't necessarily have the power to do it, uh, but because of the weight of the Sanhedrin council, they got to go before Pilate, and Pilate went through. And Anyhow, the Sanhedrin was a very influential uh, political group as well as a religious group within his community. And the Apostle Paul, at a very young age, became a Pharisee. He became a part of the Sanhedrin. And then what we know is that the same time that the Apostle Paul is, is rising in the political ranks, he's rising in the religious ranks, then comes along Jesus. And at the same time, here's this guy who is giving his all to his religion, and then Jesus is coming along and saying, hey, it's, it's kind of over. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I am the fulfillment of the law. I've, I've come to complete it. And, and as he began to teach, huge numbers began to following this Jesus. And, and so we know that, that Jesus began to really cause a lot of conflict within the Pharisee groups. And, and he began to question a lot of their hypocrisy. And we know that the Apostle Paul and Jesus probably had no direct con, uh, or contact, but we know that as soon as Jesus died, within not very long, Paul, who was then known as Saul of Tarsus, actually began to go out trying to clean up or to repurify or to bring back those who had began to wander. And in order to do that, he, he, Saul of Tarsus began to actually push across almost a reign of terror throughout Jerusalem. And, and he began to confiscate these little groups, these little, at the time they weren't known as Christians. At the time they were known as people of the way. They were just known as followers of the way. And so he began to take the followers of the way and he began to confiscate their properties. He had some imprisoned. He had some beaten and we even read about the story, if, you, if you've read through the book of Acts and stuff, you read about a story by the name of a guy by the name of Stephen who was actually martyred, and there was Paul right there holding the coats of. And what that meant is he was the one who had the authority to say, hey, stone him. And so when it got to its worst, this guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus actually was having people put to death in order to try to re-pull back don't you even think about following this other sect out there. Don't, don't think about trying to go following other things. You need to be true and faithful to the Jewish religion. Now, 
as, as Paul reigned his terror through Jerusalem, he wasn't content to stop at Jerusalem. And so we begin to read about through the book of Acts that Paul goes before the, the Sanhedrin council, and we believe it's probably the Sanhedrin, and got permission to actually begin to pull this reign of terror into communities farther up. And so he got permission to go up to a city called Damascus and to actually do the same thing in Damascus and to imprison people and bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, what we understand is that Damascus is probably about 120 to 130 miles from Jerusalem. So back in the day of walking and donkey riding, this is no small feat, but Paul's passion for his Jewish religion was such that he was willing to go all the way up to Damascus to try to, let's make sure we get this thing settled down. Let's not let people stop and think they can just drop Jewish faith. And so as he was heading on up to Damascus, and if you are kind of familiar with the Bible at all, we know something special happened on the road to Damascus. He was riding his donkey up there, his mule. We're not exactly sure. It might have maybe. But as he was riding up there, God came along, and we're told that a bright light shone so great around him that it knocked him off his horse and knocked him down. And an experience that Paul had that day caused him, who was the greatest persecutors of the followers of Jesus Christ, to become one. Now, to kind of really shorten this story so we don't go a little too long, here's what happened. Basically, Paul finds himself about two years down in Jerusalem with the disciples. They then, after causing so much controversy, because this was the guy who was trying to kill Christians, is now actually trying to convert people to Christianity. People got a little upset with him, and so they started to come after him to try to say, we need to silence you. And so the disciples sent him back to Tarsus. And so he was back up in Tarsus for about 10 years. And then after that, a guy by the name of Barnabas, who was working in a church of Antioch, um, says, hey, Paul, come down and help us teach. And so they were once again, Paul and Barnabas got together for about two years in uh, Antioch, and they were teaching there when all of a sudden the church of Antioch says, you know what, the message we have is so great, we need to send you out. And this is really kind of where our story kind of picks up. So Paul, or Barnabas and Paul, they begin to hit out, and as they hit out, they hit it out on their first missionary journey, and they hit it across, and they went up, and I should have put a map up here today, but I'll be honest with you, I'm going to blame Chris, all right? Chris kept me so busy yesterday, I didn't think about putting a map up here. But as they went up this little round area, they went up to a place that we refer to as Asia Minor, uh, up into a, a place called Galatia. Now, Galatia is a, is a region, and Paul went through a grouping of, of cities through here, and there's approximately four or five churches that he started up through here. And as he went around, they spent about a year going back, going down through these, you know, starting these churches, and then heading back, and then heading back to Antioch. Now, as the Apostle Paul and Barnabas came back to Antioch, about 18 months later, he begins to get letters coming in the mail. Paul, there's these teachers who came in after you, and they're teaching us some different things, and we're confused. And so what we know happened is a group that we, we refer to them as the Judaizers, and we just say Judaizers because it's just a simple way of saying they, they were simply trying to get these young converts to actually begin to act more Jewish. Because as Apostle Paul and Barnabas went out, they didn't go to just Jewish communities. They went to everyone. 
the message that, uh, of Jesus coming and dying for us and, and bringing us and reconciling us to God, it, it was for everyone. And so these groups were made up, these little churches were made up of Jewish people and Gentile people. And now all of a sudden these other groups were coming in saying, you know what, Jesus was a Jew. And the Apostle Paul began to teach you something about grace, but he didn't teach you everything. He missed some stuff. What he didn't tell you was that in order to really know Jesus, you've got to become circumcised. Now, that would be enough for most of us to say, nah, nah, we're, we're out of here. But, but no, that wasn't enough. Not only do you have to be circumcised, you need to follow some religious holidays. You need to honor the Sabbath. You need to sit back on the Sabbath, and, and we need to teach you about how you can properly honor the Sabbath. And, and that's not enough yet. There, there's certain things that you can and can't eat, and you need to understand these rules. And in fact, we know that as they get, went through, they really had these poor Christians totally confused. And so as Paul gets this letter back, uh, we can almost hear the tone in the, in, the, in the letter. Now, we don't have the letter that was written to him, but we can almost imagine this anxiety, this feeling of, Paul, why didn't you tell us we had to be circumcised? Paul, why didn't you tell us that we had to honor Saturdays and we had to do special religious rites on Saturdays? Paul, why didn't you tell us we couldn't eat pork anymore? We really love our bacon and our ham. You see, Paul, what is this about grace? And, and, and why is there so many, if Jesus came to set us free, why do we find ourselves now confused with all these rules and regulations that we're struggling to keep? And we can almost feel that hurt and anxiety. And we know there must have been a bit of hurt and anxiety in the letter written back because as Paul writes the book of Galatians, you get this feeling that he's kind of coming out like, I'm frustrated. I'm a little hurt. And so the book of Galatians is only, it's only six chapters long and they're not long chapters. They're fairly short chapters. So it's a fairly small book, but it's really a letter. But as he writes this letter, Two-thirds of this book is simply Paul saying, hey, do you remember who I am? Do you remember how I came to you? Here are my qualifications. And so he spends, of this little tiny book, he spends two-thirds of it, or, or a third of it, simply trying to say, remember me, this is why, look, those who came in after me, they're not who they say they are. Here's my qualifications. If you don't believe me, you can check it out. And here it is. And he lays it all out almost as a resume again before he even gets into talking about the idea of grace. Now, as Paul writes this letter, this letter is not simply a, I'm frustrated, I'm going to write these guys a letter and let them have it. But what we find out is that this letter is actually a, a, a feeling of responsibility. As Paul and Barnabas had gone through this little region of Galatia and had started these churches, he was not willing to simply say, you know what, I did my part. I, I told them about Jesus. I shared the good news and what they do now with it, that's up to them. He was not willing to stop and say, hey, if I stop and kind of deal with this, I'm going to hurt their feelings and they're not going to like me anymore. You see, as the Apostle Paul writes this letter, what we're actually dealing with is Paul's overwhelming idea of responsibility. 
This idea that I am, I, I have spent time, I've spent money, I've spent part of my life, I've risked a lot for these people, and you know what? I cannot walk away. I have taken the opportunity, and so he begins to deal with this whole idea of there's a time we need to step up. And so as Paul gets to Galatians chapter 6, what we see is that actually Galatians, the book itself, is him already taking on that responsibility, saying, hey, there's a time for us to step up. And I'm not just going to tell you to step up. I'm actually going to do it. And we know that in, he, a couple months later, several months later, he actually takes off on another missionary journey. And he goes back through all these churches once again and continues to read to help them understand this idea of grace. But Galatians is one of the most amazing books. And if you get an opportunity this week, I just recommend just read it. It's really quick. You'll read it probably less than a half an hour. Maybe if you're a slow reader, maybe an hour. But the book of Galatians is actually one of the most influential books today on dealing with this idea of grace. What does grace mean for us? And so Paul confronts this head on. There are times. Now, I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit because as we begin to look at this idea of responsibility, we all understand. We all know that we have responsibilities in our lives. All of us get to a certain place, whether we step up to that responsibility or we step away from that responsibility. No, we have it there. We can't escape it. We can't hide from it. It follows us. That's a part of what it means to be adult is responsibility. I wish we could simply say life was simply about being able to go to Disneyland every day and, and eat churros and hot dogs and have a good time. But that is not what our life is based on. Our life is based on responsibility, and we all have to find ourselves stepping up at times. Now, we understand this, and the Apostle Paul knows we sort of understand it, but he re even reiterates it to us. And so today, I'm going to just look at a couple of things, and then I'm going to kind of pull this together in just a second but the Apostle Paul helps us to try to understand this responsibility. And I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. You see, most of us will never have to worry about a church in some far-flung area of Asia Minor, some other part of the world, even another state. Most of us are not called to that kind of responsibility. But we all have responsibility, and the Apostle Paul knew that. And here's what he talks about when he looked at us with our responsibilities. And he said this to Timothy. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, they have denied the faith, and such people are worse than unbelievers. Look, when it comes to our families, don't most of us already feel an overwhelming sense of responsibility to our families? Already we find ourselves spending and sacrificing long hours making sure that our families are fed, making sure that they are clothed, making sure that they are housed, trying to make sure that they are well-adjusted in society. I mean, we feel that responsibility. And even if some don't step up to it, we feel it. We, we kind of stop and say, you know what? Oh, I, yeah, maybe. Oh. And we, we know it, we feel it. And so most of us spend hours sacrificing, trying to make sure that our families are taken care of. But we don't just do it for their needs, do we? 
We don't just stop and spend hours sacrificing finances and money and time on their needs. We do it also for their wants. I mean, as our children are growing up, how many sports clubs do we join? How many dance lessons do we take them to? How many family holidays do we, do we take them on? And, and how many Xboxes? And okay, I'm not even sure what the new ones are anymore, but I'm out of touch, okay? But as families, as parents, we have that feeling of responsibility so much so that, that we will give and give and give for their needs and their wants. But Paul is not just talking about us providing for our families, hobbies and wants and their clothing and their electricity. But Paul actually is talking about, and he wants us to know more about responsibility, more than just these needs, but also something much more important. And so he says, it goes to Ephesians chapter six, verse four. And he's talking to fathers, but I believe honestly he could be looking at, he would have said the same thing to us as mothers today or as parents in general. But he says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Paul looks at us and he says, for you who are parents who love Jesus Christ, who follow Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility that goes more than just simply providing for their needs and their wants. As parents, you are called to to provide discipline so that your children grow up to be responsible adults themselves. You're to provide them love that helps them know that they are cared for and that they're cared for by a great creator out there who loved them enough to send his son to die for them. You see, we're, we're called to be responsible not just for their physical nurture, but also in the way that they are brought up and their spiritual formation. And now this gets a little tough, doesn't it? Because it's easy to talk about providing for wants and needs. But when we begin to talk about providing or taking responsibility for our families spiritual for me, and I almost, I, I hate to say it, I'm one of these guys who I like to be so practical that even just saying that, I'm not even sure what I necessarily mean by that. But you know what I'm talking about. You see, when we read this, Paul is looking at us saying, hey, you are responsible to help your family know that they are loved, that there was someone who died for them, who cared for them, that there was a God and a creator who came to earth and wants a relationship with them. It is your responsibility as a parent to help them know that. You see, the other is easy. I can just throw some money at. And even if I don't have much money, it's, it's still easier because the one is something I can control. When we try to discipline our families, and discipline does not mean, we kind of think of discipline as this idea of a rod and I'm gonna smack them. Okay, the idea of discipline is the idea of discipleship. It's the idea of training. So the idea of discipline is not sitting there with a rod and and smacking someone and, I don't know, maybe it's required that at times, I don't know. But, But the idea of discipline is not one of a negative connotation. It is one of a positive connotation. The idea of disciplining is one of, hey, 
I want to bring you along to a place of. I want to teach you. I want to train you. That's discipline. And so Paul is saying, hey guys, as parents, are you bringing, are you training, not just providing for, but are you training your children to go a proper direction so that they too can have a relationship with a father in heaven? You see, as we look at the one, providing for the needs of is easy because that's just what we do. Discipling is tough because that goes to who we are. That's about our own character. That's about us being what we're trying to train our families to become. Responsibility costs. You know this as much as I do. It costs. When you went out and you decided to buy your kids those new Nike Air, well, when I was a kid, it was the Air Jordans, and I, I don't know what they are now. There's so many names for them. But when you go out to look at those new pair of shoes, and you, you can put a price tag on it. Well, someone else has put a price tag on it, and you can choose to pay it or not. But we can stop, and we can figure out the cost of what it costs us to financially provide for we can stop and we can figure out the cost of electricity. How much does it cost when, when the refrigerator doors are left open for 10 minutes as we decide what we, we can put a cost on it. It's easy to put the financial cost on. We can sit down and put up a budget for a family holiday. We can put a cost on our sports clubs. In our, we, we can put a cost on it. That's easy. What is hard to do is put the cost on who we're called to be on the discipling side. You see, the one is easy. It's just a financial cost. I, I can choose to work more hours and save up the money. I can choose to take something out of one part of the budget and put it into another part of the budget. I can choose to totally not have a budget at all and just put it on the credit card. Woo-woo. Pay for it for the next 20 years of my life. You have a choice. And so we can stop and we can figure out the cost. But do we stop and figure out the cost of what does it cost us to disciple, to train, to step up to the responsibility that is not about a financial side, but is about a spiritual side or even a character side. If you're not even interested in the spiritual side this morning, I just want to say, does it cost you to help you teach your family character? I hope it can go farther than that, but even if you're just looking at character, it costs you. It costs you time. Do you know how hard it is sometimes when we're, we're earning money and we got overtime and it's offered to us and we can make all this extra money and, or we can choose to go home to our daughter's dance recital? Ugh. I don't like dance recitals. They're, they're frustratingly Dance recitalish. I could, I could be. You see, it costs. It costs us, doesn't it? It costs us to stop doing something that I want to do with my friends to maybe go do something with my spouse. It costs us something to get up a little extra in the morning because I can't stay awake at night. So maybe I get up a little extra in the morning so I can maybe read my Bible and pray just so I can have a little time with God. It costs us. 
responsibilities are always going to cost us. And this is why we have to make the decision, am I going to step up or am I going to step away? You see, the reality is that a responsibility doesn't just cost you financially, it's going to cost you personally, of your own emotions. When you have to have those hard conversations with your children, when you have to have hard conversations with your friends, when you have to have hard conversations maybe with your spouse, maybe when you have to have hard conversations with your coworkers, things that if I know if I'm going to begin to talk about this, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to that place because I know what goes on there and that's not who I want to be. If I go there, how can I tell my kids not to go there? I can't go there. And I know in that moment it is going to cost me something. It may be a promotion at work. It may be an act of simply saying, you know what, for the next three months I'm going to have to deal with being picked on and made fun of and because I just, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. It has a cost. It's going to cost us somewhere. And so what we begin to understand that as we begin to talk about stepping up to responsibility, we need to understand that as you look at your responsibilities, it's going to have a cost. What is it going to cost you? Where is that cost? Are you going to lose friends over? Are you going to have to have arguments with people you just rather just, oh, let them do their thing? So as we begin to talk about today, once again, let me remind you, I am not at all concerned with you actually doing anything with this lesson today. I'm just trying to get you to ask some questions, okay? So as we leave here, there's not about guilt. There's no, okay, if you go away feeling guilty, I've totally failed, okay? I don't want you to feel guilty. I just simply am trying to get you to ask questions today because as we begin to go over the next four weeks, I want to talk about some areas that Paul calls us to be responsible to. And so as we look at this, we begin to talk about saying, okay, so we all have responsibility. We all know it. We see it. It kind of slaps us in the face. We have work responsibilities. We have family responsibilities. We have neighborhood responsibilities. We have responsibilities as citizens. We have responsibilities towards, oh, it just keeps on going. We, we all have them. And we know that if we're going to be responsible, it will cost us. Jesus said it like this. In fact, Jesus said even being a follower of his cost us. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said this. Jesus said to the crowds, if any of you want to be my followers, you must give up your own way. Uh, okay, I, maybe I should not have put this up here because automatically, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're saying, I knew it. This is why I don't, because I know it. There's a cost to being a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're absolutely right. Jesus paid the price. Jesus gave his life, and it's free, uh, but it still costs us. Responsibility will always cost us. And Jesus stops and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus referred to the cost of responsibility of following him as a sacrifice. As a commitment that calls us to dying to ourselves at times. And we don't like that. It costs us. 
the cost of responsibility. Paul did not see his responsibility as only to his own family group. He wasn't just worried about his mom and dad. He wasn't just worried about his uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters. But Paul saw his responsibility to a greater group of people, a group of churches, a group of churches that he briefly was in their lives for only a short time. It was a group of churches that had a different culture These were people of different ethnic backgrounds. These were people who who thought a little differently than he thought. They were brought up differently. They acted different. But they had grasped onto this idea that we could have a relationship with God, that we didn't have to be out sacrificing animals or out doing things and paying money to, it was a simplicity of, hey, there's a God who loves you and if you give your life to him, he will accept you. He died on a cross. He rose again to pay for your penalty. It was a simple message and it was all about grace. God loves you. God cares for you. He gave his life for you so that you can get to know him. And so Paul took responsibility as he shared this message with them. And as people gave their lives, Paul felt a responsibility toward these people. He didn't stop and count the cost of, you know what, if I go back here, all I think I'm going to do is I'm going to make people angry. I'm going to make people upset. They're not going to like me. If I start dealing with some of these hard issues, you know what? Paul's responsibility went beyond simply a family group. It went larger than. It went so far out that 2,000 years later, we're still being influenced by Paul's responsibility. You see, your responsibility that you have, you say it may be just toward this little spot right here, that influence that we have, we don't know how far on that goes. It will have a cost but it also has a payout. Our responsibility is going to cost us, but it will have a payout. We don't know when, and we don't know where, and we don't even know how. Paul, as he wrote this letter, 2,000 years later, he was specifically writing to a group of four or five churches. In the back of his mind, he was not thinking, I am writing necessarily. Now, God knew. But he wasn't necessarily thinking, you know what? I need to get this out to all the Christians in the world for for ages to come. He was thinking, I've got these five churches who are struggling with this idea and I am responsible to them. And as he laid out and fulfilled his responsibility, it reaches out to us today. God preserved for us this letter so that we can understand this idea of grace. I'm going to put two questions up. Here's, here's what I want. No guilt. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying. Don't, don't go home and say, you know what? I got to start doing this. I need to start buying my kids new Nike Air Jordans. Okay. You probably couldn't get those. And if you could, they're, I don't know. They're probably vintage antiques and will cost you too much now. But as we begin to look at it, I, I want you to ask this question. One, 
Who am I responsible for? Where is my responsibility? Is my responsibility simply for my family? Now, that's a good place to start. Let me just say that that is an awesome place to start. But is that where your responsibility starts and ends? So I just want you to ask this question. I, I don't even, I'm not even concerned whether you answer it fully. I just want you to ask the question. I want you to think about it. I just kind of want to like, you know the old tumble dryers? You put your clothes in and there's chung, 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 chung. Okay, that's what I want this to do. I just want it to thump around the back of your hand. Who am I responsible for? Am I responsible for my work colleagues? Well, I don't know. Am I responsible for for my parents? Am, am I responsible for my children? Am I responsible for my neighbor? I don't like him very well, though. He doesn't keep his trees trimmed like they should, and now they're falling on my yard in the middle of a hurricane. Who is my responsibility for? And number two, question number two, what does that look like? If I am responsible, what should that responsibility look at? Because if we're going to talk about stepping up, then, then we just got to kind of start asking the question. If I'm called to be responsible, Paul took his responsibility very seriously. Who are you responsible for? What does that look like? Another way, we could ask that another question way we could say what is it going to cost you okay and I don't, I don't know I'd rather say what is it going to look like because uh, cost I don't like cost I'm broke already who am I responsible for and what is it going to look like if I am going to step up what will that look like what will that mean for them? What will that mean for me? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking the question. I don't even care if you answer it. If you want to start answering it, that's fine. I more want you to stop and say, who are you responsible for? Or you say, I'm just responsible for myself. That's all I'm going to do. Well, let's just say this. As we start looking at this, we're either going to learn to step up or we will be stepping away. So, next four weeks, we're going to begin to break this down a little bit more. And then this is where we're going to start saying, here's where I'm going to start challenging you to begin doing stuff. But for today, ask yourself the question, who and what? Father, this morning as we come and we close, the Apostle Paul's life is one of an amazing, it's, it's an amazing story. And Father, as we look at it, it's not just the letters he wrote to us. It's the way he acted. It's the things he did. It's not just what he said. It's how he put actions to those words. And so, Father, help us. As we talk about responsibility, help us to understand we all are responsible for something, someone. We're all responsible. And whether we choose to accept that responsibility or to walk away from it, it's following us. And we can keep running from it. Father, help us to stop. Help us to stop running away from it and to look at our responsibilities and step up to them. And we just want to say thank you for your goodness. In your name we pray.